Hi, good morning, afternoon, or night, whenever this episode reaches your ears. Welcome to the Cross Reference Catholic. Thank you for being here to dive into the scriptures with me. Today we will be reading and breaking down Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to read through chapter 2 first, then we'll break it down and discuss. Before I begin reading, I'd like to say a prayer for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Come Holy Spirit, settle our souls. Lord, thank you for this beautiful day and for your word. May you bless everyone listening to this episode, and that they may know your love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Matthew chapter 2 Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will govern my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word. Thy too may come and worship him. When they had heard the king, they went their way, and lo, the star they had seen in the east went before them, till it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there till I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, was in a furious rage, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time which he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled, because they were no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus reigned over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. 
He shall be called a Nazarene. From this chapter, there are several points I want to explore. First, we will talk about the wise men and some questions that I have about them. Then I will explore the gifts that were given to Jesus by the wise men. Then I want to talk a bit about Joseph, Moses, and Rachel. And lastly, I will talk about the prophets. In this chapter, we are first introduced to the wise men from the east who went to Jerusalem to pay homage to the born king of the Jews. Initially, two major questions came to mind. One, who are these wise men? And two, assuming that they are Gentiles, why would they care about the king of the Jews? To answer the first question, I found a great article written by Jimmy Aiken, a prominent Catholic apologist, titled Mysteries of the Magi. According to his article, the word magi was once used to describe Persian priests around the 5th century BC. They were basically like the tribe of Levi, but for the Median people. However, by Jesus' time, this was not necessarily the case. The wise men or magi at this time were astrologers, most likely from Persia. They believed that signs in the sky can reflect or indicate an earthly event, such as the birth of a king. However, it is important to note their perception of astrology is different than our more modern view. They did not believe that the stars or planets or signs in the sky caused earthly events, but merely revealed earthly events. To answer the second question, there are a few things to consider. First, yes, the wise men are Gentiles. While some Jews had spread to the east, Matthew does not make it known that they are Jews, so we can assume that they are Gentiles. I think this already reveals a lot about who Jesus is, because Gentiles from the east are coming to pay homage to him, the king of the Jews. Throughout the Old Testament, there are verses talking about people from other nations bringing gifts to the king. An example of this is in the book of Tobit, chapter 13. Tobit writes a prayer rejoicing God, and he says, Give thanks worthily to the Lord, and praise the king of the ages, that his tent may be raised for you again with joy. May he cheer those within you who are captives, and love those within you who are distressed, to all generations forever. Many nations will come from afar to the name of the Lord God, bearing gifts in their hands, gifts for the king of heaven. Generations of generations will give you joyful praise. End quote. Once again, like we talked about last episode, we see this theme of Gentiles recognizing who God is, but not yet part of his covenant. But all of that is about to change. Praise God. Second, we should consider that the wise men were probably wealthy since they had the means to travel so far for an extended period of time. They probably had some ties to royalty in their homelands meaning that they would care about royalty in other lands and want to congratulate the family of a king being born. We see that the wise men go to Herod first because they would assume that the king would be born of the current king. But when they arrive and Herod does not have a newborn, it then brings into question, well then where is the new king? I find it interesting that King Herod brings together a council of priests and scribes to figure out where this king is, and they quote Micah 5.2, which says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days, end quote. This is significant. I would imagine how concerning that would be for a current king to hear that there is another king who should be the ruler of Israel, 
and who is from of old, from ancient days. But what does that phrasing even mean? The phrase from ancient days means eternal. So this prophecy in Micah, which the priests and scribes are quoting to Herod, is saying that out of Bethlehem will come a ruler who is eternal. He is talking about the Messiah, who is a threat to Herod's power and authority, which is part of the reason why Herod orders all males under the age of two to be killed. But before we get to that part, I want to talk about the gifts that the Magi bring. They bring Jesus gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are pretty significant gifts which have been talked about ad nauseum, but I'm going to talk about them anyway. First, the gold. Gold is significant because it is a symbol of royalty, signifies that this baby is a king. There are two very interesting excerpts from the Old Testament which foreshadow the king being gifted gold by people from other nations. Isaiah 60 verses 1 through 7 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes round about and see. They all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried in the arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba, shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will glorify my glorious house. End quote. I find this significant because it lays out how people from other nations will bring gifts to the king, specifically gold and frankincense. But then it also reveals Jesus' mission. It says that all nations will come to this light and people will flock to him, which is very true in Jesus' ministry. Isaiah also mentions here the flocks of Kedar and rams of Nebaioth. Kedar and Nebaioth were the sons of Ishmael from Genesis. So the people who are descendants of Ishmael will bring their flocks and rams to him as an offering. And this is sacrificial language. So this person will play some sort of sacrificial and priestly role since the priests did the sacrifices, and Jesus is our king and high priest. Then Psalm 72, 8-15 says, May he have dominion from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. May his foes bow down before him, and his enemies lick the dust. May the king of Tarshish and of the isles render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy, and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live, may gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day, end quote. 
I find this significant because it once again clearly shows that people from other nations will bring gifts to the king, specifically gold. This psalm also reveals Jesus' ministry, that people will come to him from all over, and he will deliver the needy and the poor and redeem those who are oppressed. As we will see in the later chapters in Matthew, Jesus does exactly this. He heals the sick, feeds the hungry, casts out demons, and redeems us all. Next is frankincense, which is first mentioned in the book of Exodus when it is used for the incense that is put before the testimony in the tent of meeting where God meets the priests. Then frankincense becomes part of the cereal offerings that were offered to the Lord. Leviticus 2 verses 1 through 3 explains, When anyone brings a cereal offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil upon it and put frankincense on it, and bring it to Aaron's sons the priests. And he shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense. And the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion upon the altar, an offering by fire, a pleasing odor to the Lord. And what is left of the cereal offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the offerings by fire to the Lord. End quote. I don't think it's a coincidence that the cereal offering would be offered with frankincense, which is clearly a product used for holy occasions, and frankincense is a gift given to Jesus. This gift points to his holiness, and I personally think to some degree, his ultimate sacrifice and the Last Supper. Lastly, we have the myrrh. Myrrh was used in the anointing oil as described in Exodus. And what was the purpose of this oil? Well, Exodus 30, 26-33 says, And you shall anoint with it the tent of meeting, and the ark of the testimony, and the table and all its utensils, and the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the laver and its base. You shall consecrate them, that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. And you shall say to the people of Israel, This shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured upon the bodies of ordinary men, and you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off from his people. End quote. So this oil was used to consecrate the priests, tabernacle, and eventually kings. Jesus is our high priest and king, so this is a very fitting gift. In addition, myrrh was also used for embalming. As we read later on in John 19, myrrh was used in the burial of Jesus' body. So the myrrh points to Jesus' royal priesthood and his death. I love that even Christians in the first few centuries after Jesus recognized that these gifts revealed something about Jesus. To end the section on the gifts from the Magi, I want to read you a short quote from the 2nd century AD. St. Irenaeus, in his writing against heresies, book 3, chapter 9, paragraph 2, says, But Matthew says that the Magi, coming from the east, exclaimed, For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And that having been led by the star into the house of Jacob to Emmanuel, they showed by these gifts which they offered who it was that was worshipped. 
myrrh because it was he who should die and be buried for the mortal human race, gold because he was a king of whose kingdom is no end, and frankincense because he was God who also was made known in Judea and was declared to those who sought him not. End quote. Okay, so we covered a lot about the wise men and the gifts and what all of that means. I now briefly want to talk about Joseph. When I was initially reading this, one thing that stuck out to me was how obedient Joseph was to the Lord and the role he plays in all of this. He was tasked with the responsibility of protecting Jesus in his youth, which is such a big responsibility. But this is only done successfully with obedience to the Lord. I find this obedience to the Lord so humbling and inspiring. Joseph is a great example of what it means to be a godly man. The angel tells him to take up Mary and the child and flee to Egypt, and so he does exactly that, without question. Then when the angel comes back to tell him it was safe to go back, Joseph obeys and takes Mary and Jesus to Nazareth. How often do we hear God's call to do something or go somewhere and we do what he asks? I know for me, sometimes I'm resistant because it seems inconvenient for me. But this story puts things into perspective. Listening and obeying God will always be better than doing what I or you think is best. St. Joseph, pray for our obedience to the Lord as you are obedient to the Lord. Amen. Now, I want to talk about how Moses fits into all of this. The first few chapters of Matthew are very reminiscent of Exodus and the Pentateuch as a whole. Matthew quotes Hosea 11.1 when talking about how Joseph, Mary, and Jesus flee to Egypt and remain there until the death of Herod. It says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. End quote. This chapter of Hosea is about how God freed his people from slavery, but they worshipped idols instead and didn't know what God had done for them. And God is saying that he will not execute his anger or hand Israel over. Within this declaration from the Lord, we get a brief overview of the history of Israel so far, which begins with bringing his people out of Egypt. Matthew quotes this passage to bring to mind where the people have come from. But then Matthew talks about the massacre of the infants and the movement from Egypt to Israel. In fact, when Matthew is trying to show us the similarities between Jesus and Moses, and that Jesus is the new Moses, so to speak. For example, Matthew says, But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. End quote. This sounds very similar to what God says to Moses in Exodus 4, 19-20. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on an ass and went back to the land of Egypt, and in his hand Moses took the rod of God. End quote. Matthew is showing us the typological relationship between Jesus and Moses. Here are some of the similarities between Moses and Jesus so far. So for Moses' story, there's a pharaoh who's afraid of an uprising of the Israelites. The pharaoh orders the children of the Israelites to be killed. Moses grows up and leaves Egypt and has an encounter with God. 
And God tells Moses to return to Egypt because the men who are seeking his death have died. And then for Jesus' story, we have King Herod is afraid because the king of the Jews has been born. King Herod orders male children under the age of two to be killed. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. And God tells Joseph to take Mary and Jesus and return to Israel because King Herod is dead. And as we will see in the upcoming chapters, for Moses' story, Moses leads his people through the Red Sea in their escape from Egypt. Moses and his people wander in the desert for 40 years where they are tempted. The people complain about hunger and are given the manna. Moses displays signs and miracles to free his people. Moses gives the Ten Commandments and the five teaching books. Then for Jesus' story, we have Jesus getting baptized. Jesus goes into the desert for 40 days where he is tempted. Jesus is tempted to turn the stones into bread, and Jesus is the manna and gives it to his followers. Jesus delivers his people by displaying signs and miracles. Jesus gives 10 Beatitudes. I know we all think it's eight, but it is actually 10, technically. And then there are five teaching sections of Jesus in Matthew. So as we can see, there's a lot of overlap between their stories. So Jesus is a new and greater Moses who will free all people and bring them to the new promised land, the new Jerusalem. Now to back up just a bit, when the massacre of the infants occur, we are told that this was written by the prophet. This account is in Jeremiah 31.15, which says, Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are not. End quote. When I first read this, I was like, wait, where is Ramah and who is Rachel again? So Rachel is in Genesis. She is the mother of Joseph and Benjamin. She died giving birth to Benjamin and was buried on the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. Ramah was an ancient city in Israel that was in the land of Benjamin. Interestingly enough, Rachel was known as the mother who mourns and intercedes for her children, which is Israel. And so it was and still is custom for Jews to visit her grave and ask for her intercession because they believe her prayers are powerful and that God will listen to her. When Jeremiah writes this, it is during the Babylonian exile in which the Israelites have been made captive and forced out of Israel. Rachel is weeping for the loss of her children as she is aware of what is happening to them. And so now Matthew brings back this image of Rachel weeping again for her children. I find this bit of information significant for two reasons. One, I think this shows the belief that the dead are aware of what is happening on earth. And two, I think this also shows the Judeo-Christian belief in praying for the dead and asking for their intercession, specifically from special people like Rachel and the saints. And so this is a great reminder for us as Christians to pray for the dead and ask for the saints' intercession. Lastly, I want to touch upon what Matthew says was spoken through the prophets, which is that he will be called a Nazarene. Now, from what I gathered, I couldn't find anything in the Old Testament that says this directly. However, the prophets have used imagery of a branch to convey the coming Messiah. 
For example, Isaiah 11, 1 through 3 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. End quote. Then Jeremiah 23, 5-6 says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, The Lord is our righteousness. End quote. And then Jeremiah thirty-three fourteen through 16 says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring forth for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. End quote. Now, all these passages talk about how a king will come from David. As we read from the last episode, Jesus comes from the stump of Jesse and David. We are also made aware of how the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, which is wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. As we will see in the next chapter, the Spirit of the Lord comes down upon Jesus at his baptism. And the Lord says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, end quote. Like, how cool is that? <laughs> because Jesus is all those things and he executes justice and righteousness during his ministry, as we talked about above. I brought up these passages to talk about what it means when Matthew says he will be called a Nazarene. It is interesting to note that none of these passages directly mentions Nazareth. However, the Hebrew word for branch is Nestor, which some think sounds similar to Nazareth and could be why Matthew says he will be called Nazarene. In addition, Nazareth is a town that has a population mixed Jews and Gentiles and could be indicative of his ministry, which brings the Gentiles into God's covenant. As we have seen, it has been foretold that the Gentiles would be brought into the covenant and all nations will praise God. So to summarize, Matthew is revealing the ministry of Jesus for the gifts that are given to him. They reveal his royal priesthood, how he heals people and frees the oppressed. They also reveal his sacrifice, which redeems us all. Matthew also reveals mosaic typology in Jesus, which indicates that Jesus is about to do many important things and bring about a new covenant. That is all I have for you today on Matthew chapter 2. Thank you for listening, and I can't wait to share the next episode with you. God bless.